but actually it worked out nicely. You guys had to listen to some hip hop. Uh, sorry about that. Not. Um, it's by a group called Beautiful Eulogy. The song's called Worthy. The words are crazy good, like. But I want to say good morning. All right. Long time no see. I've been up here for a while. Um, first things first, this passage is crazy. You just need to know that. And when I said yes to Mike, I, I actually didn't read the passage. I just liked the title. I should have read the passage. I should have read the passage. I'm going to read you the whole passage, and you'll understand why we're not talking about this whole thing today. I narrowed it down to two points, plus we have communion, so I kind of want to do it and get us out of here. I figure if I preached the whole sermon, we'd be here till three. And I grew up in a church like that, and that's why I'm not there anymore. <laughs> so we're not doing that either. So let me read this, and then I'll pray. So it's First uh, John 5. Starts out like this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is, everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love, that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in his Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they are not, they have not believed the testimony of God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, anybody see why I'm not preaching all this today? Can you clearly understand? So I called Mike up on Friday or Saturday and said, Mike, what, what was I thinking? And, and to which I was lovingly and encouragingly greeted by laughter. <laughs> he said to me, I was reading this thinking, oh, I better call JC. He's going to be swinging from the rafters. <laughs> So if you look in your insert, here, here's what I am going to try to teach. I'm going to teach verses 3 and 10 and 11 through 12. And I'll read those again. In fact, this is the love of, for God, 
to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Forward fasted. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony of God, or the testimony God has given about his Son. That's 10, and then 11 and 12. And this testimony, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So my first question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to have faith in God? Do do you, raise your hand if you trust God. Now raise your hand high if you really trust God. You shouldn't have raised your hand at all. You should have said, J.C., shut up. Okay? Let me ask you another question. Raise your hand if you love God. Okay? Now, put your hand down again. Raise your hand if you love God enough. Ah, right answer. That was the right answer. How many would agree that we all want to love God more? We all want to love the Father more, right? Um. And in the first letter, in, in the first part of this letter, John wants us to know something first. He wants us to know you or I cannot love God unless he loved us. He loved us first. He took the first step. He asked us out on the dance floor. He came over and said, you want to dance? I love you. It wasn't because we found him. Oh, that must be God. I better go ask him to dance. He came to the dance, and he asked each one of us that is here, will you dance with me? And because he did that, because he did that, he shows us. Now we can in turn return love to him, love to our neighbor, and more importantly, love to our enemy. And I would contend, if any of you are marriage partners or moms or dads or grandma and grandpas, the very person you love can also be your enemy. Because when they they don't do what you want, I got a problem. And And it's easy to hate or dislike or be mad at the person that is in the house with you or the kid you love the most. We tend to give other people more mercy. We don't tend to give our spouses and our children much mercy. And so God's calling us to love him. He's calling us to love others. He's calling us to love our enemy. We also need to know that because God loves us, he understands now, please understand this when I say this. I'm not, I'm not meaning any disrespect, but understand this. He understands that we're promise breakers. Anybody in the house a promise breaker? You keep your word. I don't keep my word. I mean, when it comes to living consistently this walk of faith, 
Nobody in this room does it perfectly. And most of us are at best shabby at it. At best. And he understands that. And so he says, I'm the promise keeper. And that's, that, that was my bone to pick with that term. And that, I, I love the group and what it did, but I never agreed with the title, promise keepers. Because we're not promise keepers. There's only one promise keeper. And the promise keeper wants us to understand that there's only one promise keeper. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a com- commercial break to say this. If you haven't read and took a look at what we call the Ten Commitments, please take some time to spend time with those ten items. They might change your life. And the reason why I think it's really important is that our ability to grow and our ability to trust God and have faith in God comes as we come to understand that the Father's committed to us and he loves us. Not only does he love us, but he likes us. And those ten commitments spell out the how he likes you and how he likes me. So if you need to know, you know, there's some... Idea. See, when I hear this passage, I I start to tremble. John says, "In fact, the love, this love for God, is shown by the ability to keep His commandments." And how many of you hear that, and your spirit starts to go like this? And how many of you start doing like this? See you later, dude, because you know you can't do that. Right? So I got a question for you. I, I'm going to talk a little bit about faith in this first point. Um, I'm going to propose to you that faith is like trusting a coach or a teacher. And it seems there are some coaches or some teachers that I would find and maybe you would find very difficult to follow, to have faith in. True or false? That's when you talk to me. True or false? Okay. Um, Let me name some of the coaches I grew up paying attention to. Vince Lombardi, Bobby Knight, Pat Summit, Muffet McGraw, Frank Martin, Bill Belichick, Gina Ariema. Now, now, let me ask you this question. Are those tough coaches? Anybody know who I'm talking about? Are those tough coaches? So here's my question. I've interviewed, not interviewed, I've watched interviews of players who've played for all these coaches. And I watched them smile. You know, we're talking Bobby Knight. I actually met Bobby Knight when I was in ninth grade. I was at a one-on-one tournament. I don't know why I got invited to be there, um, but I was glad to be there. And I, I got to meet him, and he, and, and he is exactly how you see him. He's the guy that throws chairs across the floor, and he's the guy that talks like that in, in the camp. So he was talking to ninth graders like that, like tough and just – you got to be better than that. I'm like, dude, like for real, like, I got you. I'm not playing for you. 
Because it would be hard for me to figure out. So here's my question. Those who come under hard teachers, men and women like this that are tough, is their teaching oppressive or light and easy like Jesus said? What would you think? See, light and easy, Bobby Knight? Light and easy, Bill Belichick? Wait a minute, Pat Summit. Light and easy? I don't think so. And yet when you hear the athletes that play for them, that's what they say. So what's the difference? See, the other thing we have to understand is God's saying faith is expressed in our ability to keep his commandments. And then he says something crazy. And the commandments aren't burdensome. They shouldn't make. They don't make they're not intended to make trouble. Here's the word there. The word means um, the word means they're not violently given. They're not given with a sense of violence. They're not given with a sense of oppression. I, I believe this. It's not the who or the what that we believe in necessarily. It's not who they are or what they're teaching. But I think it's how they teach. And I think it's the long-term purpose that they have. John tells us to follow God's commandments is not burdensome. It's not hard. He says it's not violent. It's not demanding or oppressive. He would also contend to keep God's commandments in a Helios way. What's that mean? The word keep there, it isn't the same word as obedience. Let me tell you what it means. So it says keep God's commandments. Literally means to watch, to keep an eye on, to observe. So it's not just what's said. The Father loves us. It's not just what he says, but how he says it. There's also a notion in the word keep that we're going to keep and try not to lose or try not to hurt or distort. So let me say it this way. To keep God's commandments is to mean that we're being asked to keep our eye on love and not lose sight of love. The word we use here is remain. Keep our eye on love, not lose sight of it. And the most important thing is do not distort how love gets expressed. Because it would hurt. So God's calling us. Now, here's my question. If we're to keep God's commandments as an expression of our devotion, to keep God's, God's commandments because God loved us, we need to know, maybe you could tell me, what are his commandments? Devin, you know? I see it. I only did that because he did like this. <laughs> and so I'm messing with him, right? Wanda, what's his commandments? Is it Leviticus? 
Oh, all right. So John summarizes it. John summarizes it earlier. He summarizes it in the gospel and he summarizes it in the book. So when we're thinking about to love God is to keep his commandments and it's not a burden. John summarizes it. He boils the Ten Commandments down to two. And I'm going to add a third. He says that we are to love God with our heart, mind, and soul. Love God with everything you have. Now, here's my question. My question, can you love somebody who you don't think loves you? Or is that obligation? I might have that twisted up. Can you love somebody who first, who you first doesn't think loves you? I'm asking you, that's a, that's a yes or no. You can. You can, but it promotes a different kind of thing. Now, what if you know he loves you and likes you? Can you love him back? Here's the question. Do you have to grow love when somebody loves you? The way you need to be loved. Or does it just, is it just a response? See, I would argue this. Keeping commandments is an order. It's an observation. Those who love the Lord keep his commandments as a response to his love. Does that make sense? Those who love the Lord, love the Lord and keep his word. Here's the idea. I coach. I got girls every year that don't, haven't had me coach before. And as a coach, I have to do three things. I have to be reliable, I have to be consistent, and I have to be accepting. And then I can set the standard. But I have to meet them where they're at, and I have to be reliable. They have to be able to know what I'm going to say and how I'm saying it. I have to be consistent. I have to have the same expectations. And then I have to accept where you're at. I can't coach a girl where she's not. I have to coach where she's at to get her where I want her to be. So I, I do these things. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to give you an example. I called Randy up. I asked Randy before I set this up. I preloaded this. One of the things i got to teach girls how to do is post up. Most girls don't know how to post up. So if I say, Randy, show me your post up. He, he has no idea. I picked him because he don't know nothing about basketball. So a post-up, oh, I'm sorry, he knows something about Kentucky. but <laughs> So a post-up means I want the ball low. On the block, you're a Kentucky ball player. You want the ball low. Show me what you do. Say that again now. You're a Kentucky ball player. Yeah. You want the ball on the block, which means under the bucket. Yeah. What would you do? Show me. Where's the bucket? The bucket's behind us, and, 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 and the ball's coming from that direction. So I want to keep you from getting the ball. You want to keep me from getting the ball. What are you going to do? Okay, now I want you to close your eyes. Watch this. You guys. Now stand as good as you can. Okay, good. I like that. Now close your eyes. My eyes are closed. Okay. And I want you to watch. If he doesn't know where I'm coming from, he, okay, now I teach girls this. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. You're too wide. So I want you shoulder width apart. I want you to sit. Sit. Okay, not that far, because you, you, but sit, like sit, relaxed. Okay. Sit. Alright. And then use your, use your elbows as your anchors. Okay? Now close your eyes. Now watch what happens. 
Don't just sit. You ain't gonna move. Now, now tell me the difference. Just, just more solid, much more solid. Okay, now what I hope, give him some love, cause he, I picked on him. Okay. So, I do, I do exercises like that. Now what I hope Randy comes away with is when he first was standing up here, he thought I was making fun of him. I wasn't. But, so the kid that comes forward has to what? Trust me. And, di- or her? Or argue with me, which is what his, her daughter does. Okay? So, or argue with me. Okay? But they still come forward. Now, when I say close your eyes, now it's a whole different deal because they don't know what I'm going to do. And what I'm trying to get them to do is experience a difference. So when they come up and they don't know what to do and they're flopping around, and when I give them instructions, remember now, keep means to watch, observe, and respond. To be obedient means to hear under the teacher's instruction. So that means it's not so much tied to your behaviors, to your capacity to, am I committed to what he's saying? And is he going to empower me to do what he's asking me to do? So I say, I want you to have a strong post. They sit. And if I get them to do it right, you see girls smile because I can't move them. They go, they stay eyes closed. Because they're not moving, okay, okay, they start to have confidence because the teaching was reliable and consistent, right? And when it's reliable and consistent and I go from a flimsy place to more encouraged, I start to have confidence. Maybe this dude knows what he's talking about. Maybe, Maybe in the storm I can trust. When I got sick in 1993, and my wife was worried about me, everybody's worried about me in the ER, and I was telling myself, it's done, I ain't trying to do this, I'm dead, I'm out of here. When they intubated me, I heard something. I heard somebody call my name. I knew who it was. And I had confidence. And he said, the only verse I had memorized, I heard. Jamie, my name is Stronghold, comes find rest. Now, the verse I had memorized is Proverbs 18.10. It's the only one I had memorized. The name of the Lord is a stronghold, and the righteous run to it, and I say. And I heard Jamie come find rest, and here's what I thought in my mind. Hmm, guess there's going to be another plan. Because <laughs> I was thinking, that I'm dead, and I, I'm, and I could feel myself go, oh, I'm good. He got me. So, so, faith in God, I'll finish there to say this, is exemplified. Not only does God love us first, but he gives us an example. He gives us Christ. And Christ came and lived among us, and he showed us how to live. He showed us how to love the Father and be devoted to him. He showed us how to love our neighbor And he exquisitely showed us how to love our enemies. Let me clarify. At the point, and let me clarify this, at some point in time, we were enemies of the gospel. We were hostile. We were standing on the outside. And because of the Father's love through the person of Christ, we are no longer enemies. We're called children of God. The shift. 
But that happened yet while we were in our worst place in sin. God loved us. He loved us. He liked you. You know, when I was 19 and 20 walking around telling the, the preachers on the street, I ain't trying to hear you, blah, 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 blah. He loved me. And I was mad my sophomore year because the coach made a decision and I wasn't a Christian. And I was, you know, cursing the school and cursing the coach. He loved me. When I was four and five and six and my mom was beating the crap out of me and my sister, he loved me. When I hated him the most and was wondering where he was because I was living in this family where kids were getting hit, he loved me. It showed up, and I have evidence of that. So that happens in the person of Jesus. So we keep his commandments as a response to his love, as a response to what Jesus did, how he lived and died, and now he's resurrected. We keep it. The second idea I want to make before we do communion is this. If we understand that we love God and our understanding is to follow his commandments from God's perspective. John also wants us to understand. He also wants us to understand this notion of testimony. And the water, the blood and the Holy Spirit and all that stuff that he talks about that I could spend two hours or three hours talking about. is simply put this way, because I think the son of God is one of John's. Favorite phrases. But those things line up because the Father willed them to. Jesus came because he wanted to reflect to the people, to his beloved, the Father and God. He wanted you to know in skin form what it meant to be loved, what it meant to be mentored, what it meant to be taught. He wanted you to see devotion to the Father done non-religiously, done in a, in a relational way. He wanted you to see how to love the least of these. He wanted you to see his love and wanted you to start to believe and stand confidently to have hope. Hope is to have confidence, to have hope in the fact that the Father loves you for free. And all your job is to do is to begin to trust and believe what he says. It'll hold you. And if that's true, then the idea that he's also saying is if God loves you and you love him, you will respond to him. Now, the other thing that happens is this. In our office, we have a phrase that we say, especially the people that work with kids. I do a lot of work with busted up kids. There's a lot of people in here that does a lot of work with busted up kids and from different cultures and that kind of thing. But one of the things we say in our office is if you make a connection, multiply it. And here's what I mean by that. When you're working with kids who don't trust adults and you discover a way to make a connection with that young person, then it's immediately important that you multiply that connection in that moment. 
you have, once I make a connection with Randy, and he's a kid that doesn't trust adults, then I can also say to Randy, trust Lori. She's just like me. And in that moment, Randy will go, whatever, dude. But what I'm saying to him is I can't be all for him. So there's going to come a time when you need somebody. I'm not there. Lori's going to be there. Jesse will be there. They're like me. Devin's like me. And I can say that to a kid. And because of the work I've done with that kid, he accepts my testimony. Now, Lori may have three minutes. Then Randy says, okay, I'm going to see. I'm going to see if you like Jay. And she got three minutes. If she blows it, that's on her. If Jesse blows it, it's on her. But the doorway's open because I said those two are good people. And we sort of think about this that way. But what's happening here is similar. You said earlier you believe in God, true or false. You said earlier you love the Father, true or false. Okay. Well, the father's asking you. He said, I made a connection with you. I want you, I want to point you to somebody. I want to point you to someone who is me in skin. He calls him the son of God. I want you to meet Jesus. He's just like me. He's worthy of your devotion. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your honor. And he's worthy of your trust. And in that moment, he's asking you to trust Jesus and trust he is who God says he is. And I always thought the other way around. Like, I, I never, I tend not to see the father behind the plans of love. I always see Jesus as the object of love. Like, Jesus did this. That's not true. It is true, but it isn't. He, the father, who I don't see as, as the, got his fingerprints on it. God the Father. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what the problem is. i got a bias. What's my bias? Anybody that knows me, what's my bias? I didn't have a dad. So it's easier for me to believe Jesus is the one author of love. I have a father-in-law who reflects the father's love to me now, Vernon, my Lori's dad. And so it's believable now. Like, oh, that's what dads do. I'm in the workshop with Vernon. He starts to talk to me about how he's glad I'm in the family, and he starts to cry. I'm like, dude, what you doing, man? Like, what you doing? And he's crying. We're praying at the Thanksgiving table, and he's thankful. He's crying. And you can see the love in his heart. And when he looks at me, he looks at me. I can see it in his eyes. He loves me the way I am, goofy, all that, all that. He loves me. I get it now. The father is the guy behind the curtain who planned all this. He planned Jesus was coming. He planned you guys to be in a country church out in Harrisburg worshiping him. That was his idea. And he's saying, accept my testimony. He's also saying another thing as I finish up. He's saying, this Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, also is and has for you a gift, and that's eternity. Eternity. And what I want you to think about as I finish up is eternity isn't just forever. <laughs> we say we're going to live forever. 
And I know some of y'all like me, whatever, dude, forever. I don't even know what that is. Like, that don't do nothing for me. But from God's eyes, view eternity, God, present with the Father and his love forever would mean this. There's finally going to be peace, serenity, liberation, power, victory. John wants us to understand that our, he wants his listeners to understand that in spite of crucifixions and martyrdom and tension, with that, have a heavenly perspective. That our final destination, we don't stop here. Our destination is forever. And that's a long-term view, not short, not temporary. It's permanent. We are permanently in the hand of the Father. Nothing can take us, separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No thing. And we eternally be with Christ. And then there will be no frustration. And then no more death. And then no more struggle with sin. And then no more dividedness, walking alongside ourselves internally and externally. And then no more suffering and pain. So as you take the elements today, I want you to think about this. Love of the Father comes as a response to the fact that he loved you first. And he's passionately in love with you and he likes you. He's not disgusted. He's not appalled. He's not annoyed. He's not impatient. And he's going to ask you to do three things. He's going to say, I hope your response to me is love me, you love me too. And I hope your response is that you love your neighbor. And I hope your response to my gift of love is that you love your enemy. And then he's going to say this, keep a then, a here and then perspective together. Remain. He's not calling us out of this planet. We live with frustration, tension, dividedness. That, but then we will be with God eternally. And forever is, is way more than just forever. Serenity, peace, liberation, power, victory, joy, all those things are waiting for you. And I would contend John saying them to you and saying them to us because we can experience pieces of that now. We get momentary deposits. He, he teases you. Ah, so you want to go, flip, and you experience a little bit. What is that? I remember the first time I experienced peace and I wasn't supposed to. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute, what is that? And then, you know me, I want to keep that going on because I come from an addictive family. So I'm like, oh, man, let me get this peace and just keep it. And you can't keep it. But it happened. And I think it's attached to me and it's not. It's a gift from God. So when you take communion, appreciate the fact that he knows we're in this tent that's falling apart and raggedy knees and bad hearts and, you know, bad habits. But in the tent is a spirit that's that's breathed the breath of Christ. And at some point in time, we will be with him. 
And he can give you examples and deposits of that along the way. And you can have confidence in that. And when it's bad, somehow he's there. His sovereignty is critically important that we begin to trust his perspective. Amen? And then play the music and there's a table back in the back and there's a table here. And then when, we, when the song's done, the worship team will come up. Remain standing. Dear Father, we just want to say thank you for what you've done. We accept your gift of love. Um, we strive to continue to express it. Help us to keep our sight on your love. Help us to remember your example in Christ and help us to reflect it as well and as best we can. Um, help us to bless our, our, bless our family and our neighbors and our enemies with your love. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.